So what you guys just watched is a promotional video for the conference Catalyst. And Chris and I actually just had the privilege to go to Catalyst. And the video was really true, that it really is a game changer. Um, it changed Chris and I personally, and it just lit, really lit a fire in our hearts to bring this back uh, to this service. Thrive is so important to us. Um, we care about it so much. We have such a passion for it, and so does Pete and AJ and all the people that try to be leaders here in this service. Um, and the thing about Catalyst that really inspired me was that we all have the ability to become a catalyst. Each and every one of us, no matter where we are, have the ability to spark change, to, to spark something great to further the gospel of Jesus. And so we're going to take a pause from the Sunday morning sermon series, Strapped. And for the next two weeks, we'll be doing a mini catalyst. Uh, and so tonight, I wanted to start with um, inward change. The thing that um, really affects everything else in each and every one of us. Um, because the first point that I want you to remember and hold on to is that you can never change the world until you can change yourself. Remember that. You can never change the world until you can change yourself. And so I started thinking about, you know, what are the things that in my own personal life I need to change? And I started thinking about bad habits and, and sin issues and struggles. And um, I realized that you know, each person in this room has a little bit different variation of what they struggle with, a little bit different sin issue, depending on age and culture and place. It doesn't matter exactly what necessarily your sin struggle is, but they could be little different variations, and so I can't really speak to every single one of those. But what I can speak to is the one common point, the one thing that I believe each and every one of us um, struggle with, and if we understand this idea, if we understand what this thing is that we need to change, we can become catalyst right now because everything else will fall into place. That thing um, kind of is centered around the passage Psalm 23, and so tonight we're going to be really digging into Psalm 23. It's a passage that a lot of you guys have probably read. Some of you guys have probably committed to memory, but I know for me personally, rereading it while we were at Catalyst. I realized that I never really meditated and thought about the words. You know, I never really thought about what God was actually trying to tell me through the words of David. And so tonight we're going to look at that and examine that and see what God has called each and every one of us to do, to be true changers, to be true catalysts to further the kingdom. Before we do that, would you just pray with me? Dear God, I just want to thank you for tonight. God, I just want to thank you for being a God who who loves us even when we make mistakes. God, for being a God who, who gives us grace and wisdom and guidance. And Lord, so many times I just look at my life and I realize that I'm so unworthy to be your son. I'm so not qualified to be, to be able to present who you are and your truth and to do anything meaningful in this life, but still, you enable that. God, just thank you for that. And tonight, as we, as we look at ourselves, as we look at our hearts, and as we seek to become catalysts for change in our, in our communities, in our schools, at our jobs, God, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts and set them on fire. Set them on fire, God, so that we might leave this building and take what you tell us tonight and actually apply it to our lives. And actually apply it to bring people into your presence. And to know you and who you are, God. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I was trying to find some pictures online on Google to give you guys an idea of what a catalyst looks like or somebody who um, has been dramatically changed, but it's hard to do that with the internal things. So I, I decided that I would look at some physical things. You see, because a lot of things can be catalysts, something that accelerates change. Um, celebrity can be a catalyst for a lot of people. There's a few pictures that I have. You can check them out. Like Josh Peck. Now you guys probably remember him from Drake and Josh. He definitely isn't the goofy, chubby kid anymore. Another person you guys all know is Miley Cyrus. She's still trying to get the best of both worlds. The next picture I have is uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, I don't know if it's life that was the catalyst of his change or if it was the lack of certain drugs and helpful things to help his muscles. I'm not sure. There's Zac Efron. I think most girls would give Jesus an amen for that, that change. Um, the next one is Ryan Seacrest. Yeah, that's actually his high school yearbook photo. He is not a woman, okay? <laughs> next change, politics. Politics can be a huge catalyst for people. Not only their looks, their physical looks, but their thoughts and their ideas and ideals. And then you have this guy. See, sometimes retirement can be a, a, a huge catalyst for change and weight gain, apparently. So these are all um, physical representations of change, uh, of a person being changed by an event or an experience or something going on in their life. And so I want to read through Psalm 23 and see what God has called us to do, an event or an experience that can change our hearts, that can lead us to a place for us to better serve him. So the words will be on the screen. If you want to open your Bible, we'll be in Psalm 23. It says this, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and you send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and your love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Now, I just want to go back to that first part of this passage, the very first verse in Psalm 23, and it says, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. See, immediately here in this passage, immediately, David is saying, God, my shepherd. He's identifying who he's speaking to, and then he's saying, I don't need a thing. You know, I think that right there is the heart of the one thing that we all have in common that we need to change. So many of us think that we need so many things in this life. And so many of us, instead of saying, God, my shepherd, when we call the name of God, we're trying to play shepherd. And so we can't possibly name him as our leader, as our guide. You see, so many of us need to identify in this passage that we are sheep. That we are sheep in desperate need of a shepherd. And if you keep reading on in the verse, I don't need a thing. The next verse says this, You've bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. This translation is the message, which I love because it puts it in real life terms. It makes it easy to read and understand. But in other translations, in the King James Version and in the NIV Version of the Bible, it says, You make me lie down in green meadows. 
It says, you make me lie down in green meadows. I think that's kind of interesting because it doesn't say, you suggest that I lie down. It doesn't say, I ask if you might desire to lie down. It says, you make me lie down in green meadows. I think an important aspect of this passage for us all to understand, to have real change on the inside, is that God is requiring each and every one of us to have rest. To rest. You know, we live in a society that is go, 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 that is all defined by 140 characters on Twitter, six-second videos on Vine. Everything is, you have to constantly be moving and going. And Jesus is saying very clearly, you have to have rest. And I'm not talking about lying in your bed for hours at a time, watching One Tree Hill, binge-watching Netflix series. I'm not talking about that. That's not rest. You know, scripture says, come to me, and I will give you rest. It doesn't say, come to the bottle of NyQuil. It says, come to me, and I will give you rest. See, he's addressing that we need to take time out of our day, out of our busy lives, to get away and to refocus, to get in the Word, to pray, and to, to realize who Jesus is because he's the one that provides rest. And you continue to read this passage. You find me quiet pools to drink from. It, it's, it's on and on and on about the things that a shepherd would do for a sheep. And you know, I often think, why did God decide that Christians were going to be sheep? I kind of don't like that because when I think of the animal that I would want to be, like defined by, I think of like a lion or a tiger or something that's like vicious and strong. But sheep are stupid. Sheep are weak and vulnerable. I mean, sheep are ugly and they stink. I mean, this is how God is defining us. But you see, I think the reason has nothing to do with those physical qualities. I think the reason that God defines us as sheep, why we constantly have these parallels of sheep and shepherd, is because sheep would die without a shepherd. Because every sheep needs a shepherd in order to survive. And sometimes we forget this idea. Sometimes we let our spirit animal lion take over, and we forget that we need a shepherd And so we're living our lives in these paths, wondering where God is, when we're taking the reins and not allowing us to guide us. When we're making ourselves Lord of our life instead of looking to the shepherd. See, there's something that we need to realize, and that is we're all sheep, and every sheep needs a shepherd. You know, another thing that sheep always do is they follow. Sheep are masters at following. And the only thing that sheep pursue is their shepherd. Did you know that? The only thing that sheep pursue is their shepherd. You know, so many times I know in my own life, I'm constantly pursuing something. You know, we all do that. We pursue the best job. We pursue the the best family vacation. We, We pursue money. We pursue a name on the door. We're constantly seeking something and pursuing something and longing for something. But guys, this passage is saying, stop. We need to make our pursuit Jesus. If if what you're pursuing is taking the place of pursuing Jesus, then you need to change. That's what needs to change in here. You need to seek after the shepherd. You need to seek after the shepherd's face. Scripture says that when the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd that they know him, that the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. 
A lot of times, I hate being in the car with my family. I love my family. I'm a huge family guy. Uh, but we haven't took a vacation in like seven or eight years, I think. And I think the main reason why my parents won't take us on vacation is because they dread being in the car. Uh, I'm one of five kids, and so oftentimes, this is a typical car ride. You have Blair and Jordan in the back seat, um, Jordan singing off tune to a Katy Perry song, Blair singing a different song at the top of her lungs, uh, Jordan and Blair start fighting over singing the songs, Brooke yelling at the girls for fighting at the songs, and then Josh yelling at the girls now fighting. So it's this ongoing thing, and I know I made myself very innocent and all of that, but typically I'm just rambling on to myself, practicing my sermon out loud, because you know you have to do that in a chaotic car. And my mom's trying to control the vehicle while my dad is going crazy because of his ADD. And so, while all of this is going on, while there's all of this noise, my dad is punched into his phone, because he's as directionally challenged as me, into Siri, how to get to where we're going. So on his phone, he has the directions that he needs to get to where he wants to go. But there's so much noise, there's so much going on from the back seat, that he can't hear the GPS. And so all he's hearing is rerouting, rerouting rerouting. And guys, how much does that happen in our own lives? How many times does that happen in our own lives? We hear all these voices, all these things that are telling us what's important, all these things that are telling us where we need to go and what we need to pursue and who we need to follow. And what happens is we end up doing this, walking and walking around in circles and just hearing rerouting and rerouting and trying to figure out the direction that we need to go and we waste so much time and energy. What if for a moment we step back? We took the time to hear the shepherd's voice. Maybe we would stop wasting so much time and energy rerouting. And what would that look like if we took that time and that energy and we took it going the right direction? The direction that Jesus is very clearly leading us on. Very clearly leading us on. Tonight I want to talk about sheep in general and and shepherds and their dynamic. And so we'll call it, uh, for sake of tonight, sheepology, which is a real thing. And if not, I made it up and it is now. But sheep, if you look at them, I don't know if we have a picture. Do we have a picture of a sheep, Pete? No picture of a sheep. That's okay. So imagine it in your head, this picture of a sheep. Sheep have always this goofy, like, stupid smile on their face. You know, they just look like they're happy all the time. And I think the reason that is is because they're so ignorant to life. Sheep don't know how to be anything else except for sheep. And, you know, God's calling us sheep here in this passage, but so many times we try to identify so much more. We try to seek after so much more. You see, sheep are awesome because you want to know what they know how to do? Follow their shepherd. See, there's a three-phrase, uh, three-word phrase that I want each of us to remember tonight, and it's this. Sheep don't strive. Sheep don't strive. Now, I'm not telling you that it's bad to strive to be the best in things, and I'm not telling you that it's bad to pursue uh, uh, ability and good things and, and pursue things that make you um, important in society, and I'm not saying that at all. But sheep don't strive. The heart of a sheep is that they follow the shepherd. And so, so many times, we need to get back to basics, guys. We really need to get back to the root of what we're supposed to be, sheep. 
and learn how to follow. See, there's something else uh, in this sheepology that I want to talk about. It's, it's the dynamic of shepherd and what the shepherd represents to the sheep. You see, a shepherd, a good shepherd, truly loves his flock. His flock is his family. He would die for his sheep. Historically, in the Bible times, you see these shepherds who would literally lay their life down for their flock. It's crazy. It's this love that's just unbelievable. But there's two things that a good shepherd always does. And I want us to look at that tonight. The first is this. A good shepherd always corrects. Now, a lot of us, me especially, hate that word corrects because it implies that there's a problem. It implies that you're doing something wrong. And I know for myself, I hate being corrected. I absolutely, I, I just don't like it. But you see, a good shepherd always corrects because he does it out of love. He does it out of love. Typically what happens when a sheep wanders off from the flock is the shepherd will go out and find it and he'll take his crook and he'll bring it back and he'll lead it back into the flock. He'll lead it home. He does that two times with the sheep. But the third time that the sheep wanders away from the flock, do you want to know what the shepherd does? He turns around his staff and he breaks the leg of the sheep. You know that picture of Jesus where he's holding the the sheep on his shoulders? And everybody's like, oh, that's so cute. No, he just broke that sheep's leg. (laughs) And some people go, well, isn't that sadistic and wrong and mean? Like, you just told me that that he loves his sheep. Let me tell you something. The next time that sheep wants to wander away, it remembers that, oh, I'm not doing that. Because that really, really hurt. That really, really hurt. Guys, so many times God does that. Did you know that? He tries to correct us. He tries to pull us back. We wander away into sin and temptation and darkness, and he says, no, come back, my child. No, come back, my child. And eventually he just goes, you have to learn. I want you to learn. And he breaks our leg, and it hurts. And it's in those moments that we question where God is, and the reality is he's right there. He's right there, and he's saying, I love you, and I know this hurts right now, but what you are wandering into is so much worse. See, because what happens is sheep are really good at getting lost. And when it's wandering away from its flock, the further and further it gets away from its flock, the easier it is for it to get lost. And when a sheep becomes lost, it's doomed because it has no way to protect itself. So the sheep dies. See, God, guys, God loves us so much, so much, that when we wander away in our own sin, in our own temptation, when we wander away, he corrects because he loves us and he doesn't want to see us die. And I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about eternal death. I'm talking about death as in separation from him. Separation from him because he loves us. See, a good shepherd always corrects. So it's important for us to identify we need a shepherd, one, but two, to identify that a good shepherd always corrects. The next thing is this, a good shepherd always provides. He provides food for his sheep, he provides shelter, comfort, company, but he provides more than that. Um, It talks about in scripture how David was tending to his sheep, and he had oil dripping down him. And, and I didn't understand this at first, uh, but studying my sheepology, I come to find out that what this actually meant was shepherds at the time, 
would wipe oil on the eyes and the nose and the mouth of the sheep of their flock. And the reason that they would do this is because sheep are so dumb that they don't even realize when flies are in their eyeballs or going up their nose. And so what would happen is these flies would fly up their nose and they would lay eggs and the eggs would hatch and the flies would be born and you would see these sheep just banging their heads against rocks, killing themselves. And they would have no idea why. But the oil protected them from that. You see, the shepherd who knew more than the sheep went before them to do something, to protect them from something that they didn't even know was an issue or a threat. See, God, guys, God does that. And so many times we forget that, I think. I think we forget the power of God and that he is a shepherd in our life. And not only that, but he goes before us. God is constantly wiping oil in our face to prevent the flies from coming in it, to prevent bad things in life to happen. See, God is always holding us. I think when we understand this idea, first off, it does this. It helps you realize that no matter where you are in life, God's with you. And even when you don't see what he's doing, he's working in your life. But you see, the second thing it does in my heart, and I think it will in yours, is it enables. So many times I hear people come up with excuses. I can't because, I can't talk about God because I might say the wrong thing, or I might do the wrong thing, or this or that or the other, and it's excuse after excuse after excuse. And you know what this passage says? When it defines Jesus as the shepherd and us as the sheep, it says, you know what? The shepherd, Jesus, has already gone before us. He's already taken care of the flies. And all we're required to do is follow him. That's it. That's it. And guys, you know what that does? It causes a catalyst. It causes a spark to be set because people see Jesus. Because people see Jesus. So tonight, as Chris comes back up, I just want us to reflect on that. Reflect on what it means to not be Lord of our own life. To think about what, what areas of our life we struggle with to follow. Um, there, there's a saying, and I really like it, and um, I hope that you'd hold on to this, and it's this. Use your limp to shed some light. Use your limp to shed some light. Maybe you feel like church is about putting on, you know? Coming to church with your pleated khakis and you go home to your perfect family and you have family dinner all together and you pray before the meal. And, and I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but so many times I feel like we want the world to see that side of us. We feel like that's what we're supposed to do as Christians, make them believe that we got it all together. Um, but that's not true because a broken, hurting world doesn't want to see that because when they do, they feel like, oh my gosh, that's so far away. I can't, I can't do that. I don't know how they do that. I can't do that. I don't want anything to do with that. They can't relate to me. You see, sometimes in God's correcting, when God breaks your leg because you've wandered off into something dark and broken and he's led you home, he's doing that so you can help somebody. And he's enabled you because he's gone before you. He's taken care of all the flies, all the things that could hurt you without you even knowing, he's already taken care of. So would you use your limp to shed some light? 
Would you go out to the broken, hurting world and say, you know what? I can tell you're totally hammered right now. I want to tell you a story about my life. I wandered off to a bottle so many times. And time and time again, God saved my marriage. Time and time again, but you know what? Eventually that stopped. My marriage fell apart and I lost everything. Do you want to know how bad that hurt? Let me show you. It hurt. But guess what? God let me home. Use your limb to shed some light. Or maybe you know somebody who is struggling with an addiction, a pornography addiction, and when they're at home alone, they're on their computer, and you know that. You know that's a problem for them. And that's one of those embarrassing things that you don't want to talk about. But maybe it's your responsibility to go to that person who you know is struggling with this and say, you know what? I had a great relationship with my friends. I was the guy, the life of the party, and I was so filled with love from human to human interaction. But you see, the thing about pornography is that it desensitizes you to reality. And so for the last 10 years of my life, I've walked around being empty. I don't want to see you do that. God made me feel so empty and broken. But then he led me home and he showed me that it's Jesus that I need to pursue. He's the only one that can break the chains. He's the only one that can make me feel whole. But I struggled. I've been there. It says in the Bible, and in the last part of this passage, that my cup runneth over. You know, so many times I think of this image that we just have this big bowl, and this bowl holds the blessings that God just rains down upon us. But it has a really literal meaning. In Middle Eastern culture, you were only welcome in a person's home as long as they were pouring and filling up your cup. The expression that they probably used was, when the wine stops flowing, the guests get going. You see, what this is literally saying is that we are always welcome at the table of God. My cup overflows. We're always welcome with Jesus. You see, and we can identify that he is the shepherd and that we are the followers, that we are meant to follow in his footsteps. We can look at the fact that Jesus is constantly filling our cup. We can sit at the table knowing where our strength comes from and look down and look out across the room at the people who are thirsty for something more. And we can follow by example and start pouring out our cup. Start pouring out our cup. Guys, we have the ability to be a catalyst for change. Tonight during this next song, right where you are, you can stand up and sing, but I don't want you to move. I just want you to think. Close your eyes if you have to. You can sing the words of the song, but I want you to meditate on how you individually, where you are, at your job, with your family, in the community, how you can be a catalyst for change, how you can take this and let it set a spark in your heart to do something, to go where you never thought you could go, because now you know that there's a shepherd who is leading, going before you, protecting you, providing for you. And would you stop being so bitter for that broken place that you had to go through and use that limp to shed some light? Use it for good. And acknowledge the fact that Jesus saved you from something so much worse.